0: leads
1: Mewis LaValle Rose up the middle looking cutting shooting go LaValle to another US that's it US wins their fourth world cup
2: Jeff, that was what we heard the other day as the United States won the Women's World Cup. Were you watching? I was just reliving it right now. It was pretty exciting, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, and the reason we're playing that is in a few minutes we're going to be joined by the voice making those calls, J.P. Della Camera. Talk a little bit about what it was like there. Uh, where were you watching? Were you at your house, watching with your son? No, I was yourself? actually in the city Okay, at the time, Were you so. with others?
1: Uh, well, I went, I went over. I was working. So I went over to uh, one of the pubs. Okay, uh,
2: Tiernanak, oh.
1: which is which is known to show soccer on Sunday morning. So it
2: was packed. Yeah, tell me about people. that. Tell me what that was like. That atmosphere.
1: It, it was pretty. It was pretty amazing. I mean, the it was like watching a big Olympic event. Uh, everybody had jerseys on of the women's national team. At least the women. You, you fans didn't because did because
2: you couldn't find hers.
1: Well, th- uh, look, I'll still take one. I I would still buy one now. I, I just think you know we want to grow the game. And in order to grow the game, I think that's part of it is making sure that everybody can wear the color. So well,
2: I don't think that the atmosphere at Tiernanog was quite like it was like in France where JP Camera was JP. What was that experience like for you the last few weeks over there? You should have asked him in French, but yeah. I could barely, I could uh, I, I barely speak there, English. <laughs> yeah,
0: No, I can't either guys. I could say, please thank you. And where's the check? Uh, where's the bathroom? But that's, that's about uh, the extent of my French, but well, but, but JP. Well, first lost. of
1: all, hey JP, it's great to know that you actually said, "Where's the check?" <laughs> yeah, well, you buried the lead,
0: <laughs> but to be honest, guys, uh-huh. Fox Fox picked up most of it, so oh. I, I rarely had to say uh, le <laughs> <l'addition. Yeah.
2: laughs> so he had a good setup going on over there. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: it was it was a great setup there. Uh, I was there for thirty five days. Uh, wow. the country itself was, was great. The weather was extremely, extremely hot, sort of like Philadelphia, probably in the, in the heat of the summer, you know, in the nineties.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, get used to it. Cause I think the next world yeah. cup you're going to be doing will <laughs> be a little warmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're
0: going to play it in the winter, but yeah, it's probably still going to be warm there, but it was a great experience. Uh, the tournament itself I thought was great. Very competitive. Uh, Saw some great games, saw some great goals, saw some controversy. Uh, It had just about everything to it. I think the games where France played, the atmosphere was tremendous. With the USA, atmosphere was tremendous. And at every U.S. game except for the French game, it felt like a home game for the U.S. The French game was probably 60-40 France. But there were times during that game that the U.S. fans sounded louder than the French, even though they might have been outnumbered.
1: So what was what was the atmosphere like as an American? I mean, not only uh, not only the, at the stadium, but as you were walking and, and basically living in that town for over a month.
0: Yeah, I think it was great to see so many USA jerseys there. Um, you know, plenty of red, white, and blue, especially in, in the cities where the U.S. was playing in. Like Louv was one of their games. I think they were in Reims. So I'm trying to remember all the the places that I went to for them, but you could see a uh, a clear USA presence there. You heard people speaking English, you know, speaking uh, the American language, not not um, British English, which which has a different accent to it. But, you know, you could tell if you're waiting in line, there's Americans that are there. Uh, and that was that was comfortable. It wasn't like Canada where, you know, everybody spoke English and it was definitely a home field advantage for every game for the U.S. But it was pretty close to it. And I think uh, U.S. fans were very loud in their support of the team where, wherever those games were. And I tell you, especially the, the French game, what I really remember, we were doing a stand-up open for it, and in the background, the French team came out, and you could hear the ovation, and it was thunderous. They were really backing their team, and we finished, we finished the hit. We had to do a second hit. During the second hit, the U.S. team came out, and I swear the ovation stunned me because it sounded as loud as, if not louder, than the French one, and while I say to you, I think that we were outnumbered as fans for that game only. I think that the U.S. fans were just louder, more supportive, more vocal,
2: and that that came across on TV. The the amount of fans that were there, um, you know, we talk about the fans that the team definitely gave them something to cheer about. They never trailed in the tournament. They right. they outscored their opponents twenty six to three. They led for 442 out of 630 minutes in the tournament. How good is this women's soccer team?
0: Well, they're probably better than we all even give them credit for because I think this was, like I said, the most competitive Women's World Cup I've seen. I mean, you could argue that Spain gave them a run for their money in the round of 16. That's only a 2-1 to win. France definitely gave them a good run in the quarterfinals. That was also a 2-1 to win. And by coincidence... England-USA was the same score, right? Two to one. So any of those games could have gone the other way. If the penalty kick is not saved by Alyssa Nair, England ties the game. In my opinion, they have momentum and maybe a belief that they could perform and get the upset, and then history changes, right? But they were they were never, as you said, they never trailed. I mean, it, they set so many records in this tournament, right, for most goals in the game, most total goals, uh, they ran the table, as you guys said, they did it with style, with some great goals. I mean, they did everything they possibly could, uh, and yet at the end of the day, those margins were pretty narrow in the knockout stage. And I thought the, I thought the final was more convincing for me. I never thought that the Netherlands uh, could have come back. I mean, if they had gotten that uh, a goal maybe after LaBelle had scored and, and maybe given them some life, then who knows, right? Because with VAR, uh, a crazy penalty, all of a sudden you've got a different game. But I would say this to you in all honesty, other than the France game, I never felt that anybody else would be able to beat them during that tournament. There was never a, a time in the game. I think the Spain game when it was 1-1, you know, it was in my head a little bit that, wow, how would I explain this if, if they lose here? You know, before they <laughs> what even what do the, I say
2: here? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, thankfully, you know, that thought vanished quickly because you don't want to be thinking about that, certainly. Uh, Otherwise, you're not focusing on the game. But that was a bit of a scare. I think Spain played very well, like US. But that was the only game, you know, when it was 1-1 that I had a a sense that, wow, maybe maybe something bad could happen here. Uh, The French game, I thought that they would beat France. uh, But going into that, I thought it was a coin flip. I really did. I think Uh, One through 11, the French are as good as as the U.S. is, and I think our our players would say that too. You know, one through 18, one through 23, the coaches, I I think that the two countries are very, very evenly matched, and on France's day, they would win. On the USA's day, they would win. I think they're the two best teams in the world, and on this day, the U.S. was the better team.
2: You mentioned the VAR, and there was really a contrast with the men's tournament going on at the same time that, that did not use... VAR, and then uh, so there were questionable calls that that were missed that weren't made, that weren't reviewed, and then the VAR where you had a, a lot of reviews going on that people were sort of split on. What was the reaction over there, and what was your reaction to the impact that VAR had on this tournament?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll go back to 2018. VAR in Russia was superb. It's the best VAR has been You name the country, you name the tournament, the best we ever saw it was in Russia because that was the only time, uh, with all due respect to MLS, that was the only time that um, broadcasters knew what they were reviewing, the people watching at home knew what they were reviewing, and the people sitting in the stands, including players on the field and coaches, all knew what we were reviewing. That has not happened anywhere else. In MLS, there are times where as broadcasters, we're not sure what the review is for but we're kind of scrambling to get that message across. So in men's game World Cup, worked fantastic. Women's game, if I had to give it a a grade, I might give it a C or below. It did not work well to me because it took too long for decisions to be made. Uh, There were certain plays that were reviewed that, in my opinion, should never have been reviewed because if we're saying that the definition is clear and obvious, how many replays would you need before you would say to me, it's not clear and obvious, right? I mean, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, if you can't tell in 10 seconds or 20 seconds if that's a foul or not. It's not clear or obvious. It's not clear and obvious, right? So either change the definition or um, don't review those because it's not clear and obvious, right? I mean, 10 seconds is all all you would need in any sport, right? If if that's the definition, if the definition is clear and obvious. So I, I think that it was great to have it in the Women's World Cup and it will get better. I think what hurt them is, they were all male VAR people upstairs, females down on the field. They hadn't worked with each other like the men had before, so there was no trust factor. I think that the, the guys in the VAR, my opinion, overextended their authority to those on the field and made them look at things that really should not have been looked at under the definition of clear and obvious.
1: Did you hear anything from the refs on the field about this?
0: No. Uh, about the actual refs? No, yeah. I did not. About the, no, v-
1: I- about the, the people that were doing VAR. was there any complaints by them about the way that this um, was
0: going? It, no, I don't think there would be—they um, would probably get in trouble if they complained about that stuff. This is um, some of the stuff I surmised from what I saw in Russia and what I saw there, and also from conversations that I've had with other very knowledgeable people in the referee world, uh, I'm putting their speculation together with mine and my thoughts and their thoughts, and that's what I'm coming up with. You know, the, there were two games that I did where there were seven minutes of stoppage time, and it was because of VAR, and I don't remember how many calls there were, but seven minutes, that's a long time.
2: It's funny that's you say the time. seven minutes, because I was with my uh, my mom during one of the games, and she's like, why'd they had so much time? Yeah, that's <laughs>
0: what we were saying upstairs, you know, But but... Um, So it's not clear and obvious, guys, if if it takes that long, right? I mean, uh, Ellen White's goal against the U.S., if there's no VAR, that is going to be a good goal, right? But technically, it was not a good goal, right? Because VAR showed, even though it's a matter of inches, you know, she is offside. So I'm okay. I'm okay with that. But they could spot that right away. I mean, you freeze the tape, uh, you freeze the video, and you can see that her foot is in advance of where it's supposed to be. So I'm okay with, with those, right? Um, there are a couple of handballs that were called that I'm not sure what the defender is supposed to do, but the way they've changed the rule, you know, you're know, you more likely to see more of these handballs called unless, unless they change it again. And I, I've heard from somebody that maybe they'll change it again because I, I don't want the sport to get to a point where the very best players in the world could aim a ball at your hand and know that they're gonna draw a penalty kick. I mean to me, that would be criminal. And I saw there were times there where there is no intent but they're changing you know, they're changing the word deliberate, I think is what they took out of the rule book. So you're gonna see calls made where you'd say to yourself, What was the defender supposed to do? She didn't make herself or he didn't make himself bigger you know, but the ball did hit them And, and if they call that, you know, that's unfortunate because like I said, the best players in the world, I mean, why not take a free kick from outside the box and instead of aiming it for goal, aim it at the defender's hand. See if you can get a handball call. So I, hope it, I hope the game never gets to that.
1: So the, the, the team that you got to cover, to me, and I, Jason and I talked about this last week, is, is one of the most charismatic teams that I can ever remember in any sport. Yeah, what was I agree. The, What was the reaction? You know, there, there have been some, and I'm using air quotes, controversy as to their celebrations and things like that, which we think is I love I love the tea sipping. Yeah. I thought that was fantastic. But, but what was, yeah. from somebody that was there and was living within in that, that community, what was the reaction yeah. that you saw to them? Um,
0: interesting you say that because somebody asked me what I thought of the celebrations, and I said, in all honesty... I think I only saw two of them. I was so busy. As soon as the goal was scored, this is the 13-goal game, I'm writing down the name of the goal scorer. By the time I finish writing, we're on a replay, and I've missed the celebration. So I didn't see, you know, some of them. Uh, I think the ones that people said were over the top, I think, was the Lloyd goal when uh, Jill Ellis reacted a certain way, and I think Morgan counting when she had scored, I think it was her fourth goal, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever that was, but... We talked to other coaches and other players after that game, and they were all in agreement that, you know, if you score a goal in the World Cup, you're entitled to celebrate that. What's the alternative? What would the U.S. have done differently? Um, Play the ball backwards for the second half, not take another shot on goal. Uh, You would really upset the other team. They would feel disrespected that you didn't try against them. And, you're just playing a ball back to your goalkeeper for the second half in front of people that paid, I don't know, hundreds of dollars for their tickets? That's not what they are wanting
1: to watch. No, we heard thousands for Television some of these games. Was,
0: yeah, one of them was, yeah. The I France think I game
1: was
2: $11,000 a ticket. For two for yeah. two
1: tickets, I think. Yeah. I think
2: it was for two. It was crazy. But,
0: um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, we asked Phil Neville, England's coach. There were a couple of other coaches that we asked. and They said, hey, if my team scored 13 goals, I'm not going to tell them, you know, not to celebrate. They scored at a World Cup. You know, that, that was sort of Jim Curtin's
2: reaction too. We had sat down with him right after yeah. that game for an interview that we did for the show that week, and he yeah. had the same reaction. Like it, these people were chasing their dreams. They get in the game and score a goal. What do you tell them not to celebrate? Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, you've got you know Mallory Pugh, who's um, no longer a teenager, but she's she's not that much older. You know, she scores the goal in the World Cup. I mean, what is she supposed to do? Put her head down because the score is whatever it was. You know, at that time, I mean, they're celebrating. They're not rubbing it in. They're not disrespecting Thailand. Our players embraced some of the Thailand players after the game, consoled them. Uh, they knew that. And, and the Thailand players would tell you, too, they, they would not have wanted the U.S. to take their foot off the pedal. I mean, I live in Connecticut, right? So UConn women always win games by a big margin, right? They always do. He goes to their bench all the time. His bench happens to be good. What do you do? I mean, you can't disrespect the opponent and say, well, don't take any more shots.
2: I was going to say, isn't that more disrespectful to just stop it's, playing than totally to disrespectful. play your totally. game? It's, it's totally.
0: Ask any athlete which they would prefer. Somebody, you know, uh, run up the score or play the other way where they, they quit. You know, they're not respecting that you can play with them and they're taking their foot off. But I'll say the same thing. Majority I, of people, anyway. I can't say all, but majority.
2: I did want to ask you about the success of the tournament and the the growth of the sport in the spotlight. Uh, the final outrated the Men's World Cup last year by about 20%, despite the fact that these were day games right Um the the games i a think lot, it was the announcer a lot of course it was yeah. the announcers. Uh, yeah, that's no, definitely never, what but it believe is believe me
0: i know that i know that for a fact it's <laughs> never absolutely yeah. any announcer that believes it is crazy
2: they're it's they're talking bad. about expanding the field next time to make the tournament larger and then you get to big the mystery. final and and there's chance about equal pay well wait but so you, I, I wanna, to i'm going to give them all a chance to address yeah. all of them because you okay. think it's a big mistake to expand the field and, mistake, and then you get... we
0: don't we don't have thirty two good teams. We didn't have twenty four good teams. You know, uh, with all due respect to Thailand and a few other teams, um, you're going to get more of those in the next tournament. And I, I disagree with those that say that's the only way that the tournament can grow. It's a money grab from FIFA. That's all that it is. If they really cared about the women's game, they would invest more money in the women's game. Bringing in more teams doesn't do that. One doesn't does? do that. What, so
1: what, does? what do you mean by invest more? How would you, if you were a commissioner, how, how, how would you oh, invest?
0: Wow, give me that power, boy. That's right. Um, <laughs> here, here's the problem. Let's say, I don't remember what the prize money was, but I think it was $4 million. Was it $4 million that the U.S. players got? Yeah,
2: it was four. A, a Whatever that
0: was, right? The players, from what I understand, get, a fraction get of that money. They, no, no, they get that money. They get that money. Um, U.S. soccer doesn't take that money. If somebody else for finishing somewhere else got, let's say, a million dollars, let's say it was Argentina, the federation gets that money. Those women don't get that money. The federation gets it. Mm. And the problem becomes, where's this money going? I I mean, I know where it's going. It's not going to the players. So if you really care about the women's game, if you're FIFA, they have a gazillion amount of dollars in their treasury, right? Gazillions, right? Just earmark, instead of, instead of letting a team that's not really qualified to be in the World Cup you know, play in a World Cup and get embarrassed there, give them some money so that they can compete, so that they can have um, youth academies, so that um, kids in poor neighborhoods can play the game that they truly love but they can't afford to play in it, and make sure that first-time countries like Jamaica, Jamaica comes into this World Cup totally underfunded. Totally. Argentina came in underfunded. Some of their players told us that they were wearing uniforms from, I want to say, the 2007
1: national team. Yeah, and you you would think with like Argentina is a traditional soccer country. Disgraceful. Yeah,
0: disgraceful. So if if you're Argentina, you don't need FIFA's money. Spend it. You have plenty of money on the men's side. How much? We're not asking for you know 20 million dollars. Give them a million dollars. If you gave Jamaica $1 million today, $1 million, imagine what they could do with that. They could play a bunch of games against better competition that would make them better. They would have better training facilities, better nutrition, better travel. There's so much that FIFA can do in that respect. It's not just about giving the federations the money. The federations are not filtering this money to the players.
2: It's hard for me. I mean,
0: there were so many bad stories from the Argentina Players that we had heard that were mind-boggling about you know what they would go through, what they would be um, wearing, uh, what they would be eating, you know, um, uh, travel accommodations. I mean, you name it. That's what they did. There was a time where I think it was Argentina didn't play a game. Was it a year and a half? They disappeared from the FIFA rankings. They didn't play a game. How, how is how is that helping the women's game? That's they should be required to play. I mean, they're a national power in the men's game. Uh, they have women playing. Why can't FIFA step in and say, hey, guys, you know, heres you've already gotten this money. Why isn't it going to them?
2: And, and then on the other hand, you know, it's hard for me to ask when they don't even give the players uniforms and travel. But on the other yeah. hand, in the final, you have the chance of equal pay for the U.S. women's team and then the same <laughs> thing during their parade. What was it like to be in the stadium and have that type of chant? And what, and what are your thoughts? Are they going to get um, there now? Yeah.
0: To be honest, I I, I know about the equal pay. I, I heard it, you know, during the parade. Um, I didn't hear it in the stadium. That's not something that I I would. That's not probably a chant that my ears would pick up. Um, you know, I'm hearing "Go USA" and and things like that. But I didn't. I don't remember hearing equal pay. I'm not saying they didn't say it. They, mm-hmm. I'm sure they did. It's not something I picked up on, but. Equal pay for me is a complicated issue. It's not a, a simple issue. Unfortunately, now I think it's turned into a political issue. You know, during the parade, you've got the mayor up there of New York. Uh, he wants to do this. Uh, you've got the governor of New York. He wants to do this. And, and meanwhile, there's there's people starving in the streets. You know, there's a homeless problem. There's a mental health issue. There's so many problems that we have, and and that's what they were saying. So the politicians are making it even more political than it needs to be, right? So uh, the simplest way for me to put it, you know, our, our U.S. women deserve more, whether it's from FIFA, whether it's from U.S. soccer. But the other teams, they, they definitely deserve more. But more importantly, FIFA has to make sure that those dollars go to them directly, not to the federation. You know? And as for the U.S. women, um, this team won two world championships, they win this World Championship, this World Cup, one year after the men didn't even qualify for it. Uh, in total, they've won four World Cups. Uh, I'm in favor of them getting as much as they possibly can, and now is the time to you know, to make their claim. I, I hope it's reasonable. I always believe there's compromise, so I, I'm not even sure if all of the things that they're asking for from U.S. soccer is something that they think they're going to get 100% of, or if it's like any negotiation where you know, if you guys go in for a contract negotiation, you probably don't give your, you know, your ultimate figure right at the top. You know, you're going to settle well, Jason for something I would
2: assume. Yeah. yeah. I'm, well, I'm, a, I'm a bad negotiator.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. No, absolutely. There's there's, there's there's compromise. So I, I would think uh, U.S. soccer has done amazing things for these women. And they know that. They, they've admitted it. They've said it. You know, they said it at the parade as well. But, yes, they can do more. And U.S. soccer, I, I know, is willing to do more. But I don't know how much more that is. You know, when you have so many lawyers involved in this, it's, you know, we're lay lay persons, right? Lay people. Um, We don't know what's in those documents. If if it takes a, a team of lawyers to look that over, I don't want to be one commenting on stuff that, you know, I don't have as much knowledge about as I should. I just know that U.S. women should be making more than they are. Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, JP, before we let you go, you're you're back across the pond. Uh, how much did you miss Tommy?
0: <laughs> um, if he's listening, I missed him um, um, so much that words could not um, describe. But only
1: if he's if listening. He, if, he's,
0: if he's not listening, I missed him a little bit. Okay. How <laughs> yeah. much?
1: How much did you miss the Union? And, and was it uh, hard well, to I keep followed up?
0: Them. No, no, I followed them from there for sure. Uh, happy to see that they're still in first place. I'm anxious to see. Um, Andrew Vooten. I knew he was going to be signed, I think, before I even left. I think he was he was signed. Um, anxious to see him play, whether that's tomorrow or next week. I don't know, but I'm sure at some point you know, he's going to play, probably start and hopefully have an impact. Glad to see Marco Fabian is healthy enough that he can contribute because I still think if he's healthy, he's the best player that they've ever had and will make a difference. So I'm, I'm hoping that he has good health the rest of the way um followed a lot of things from over there the one thing i couldn't follow as much because there was no time was really uh gold cup you know I'm, I'm aware of obviously that mexico won over the u.s won nothing i'm aware of some of those stories and you know andre blake playing for jamaica and also uh, copa america aware that brazil won that messi got his first red card and things like that but you know when you're um in a World Cup like we were, Women's World Cup, you tend to be Women's World Cup centric. centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I was doing my best to keep up with the union, watch some highlights, you know, follow them. And now I, I think I'm up to speed. I'll find out tomorrow if I am.
2: <laughs> well, we, uh, we'll let you go continue to get back up to speed. Look forward to getting you back on the call of the game. And uh, sure. see you soon and look forward to having you back on again in the future.
0: Anytime, guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Jeff, uh, he, I told you and I told him originally the 99 his call of that women's game mm-hmm. was like the voice that I remembered. Yeah. And it's fun to be able to play the calls that he had in France and then have him come on and talk about it. That that's just. Well, he,
1: I mean, he's such a great announcer. Uh, I mean, it, to me, just like you, the, the voices, I know they they're humble um, for them, unless you're Howard Cosell. On which he Tommy's will, not very humble. He he'll no, go out no, there. No, but, uh, but he's humble, but he's but, he'll, but the he'll best, humble brag a little the, bit too. Yeah, but the, <laughs> but the best voices of the game, are, even though you remember the sporting moments, you remember the voice of that. He, he you know JP is is the soundtrack of that, and and so that's part of what people remember. Lots of little kids will remember his call from the, that game last week, just like you remember the call from nineteen ninety nine. And it, it's always great to, to have those people come on and tell their perspective because their perspective is so different than what we see on television. You know, you saw the media make a whole big, you know, out of nothing over the celebration. And the other players. And, are And, and you, have, you, eh, you have you no have JP who lived in France for 35 days, who got to talk to the people who live there. And, and there was it, this was just
2: an outcry over nothing. Before we wrap up the soccer and head to break, Jim Curtin gets a two year contract extension. Well deserved. Good good move for the yeah. union to extend him there. Uh huh. Uh, you're going to be watching. Can you stay up late tomorrow night? They, they play in get Salt out. Lake at 10 o'clock. It's yeah, late for you. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure I could stay up.
2: Uh, I'm just making sure yeah. it's late. Yeah. Uh, I, know thanks. Get, I know you get tired. Uh, really. You want to come over and just wake me up when it's time? Not particularly. Oh, not thanks. not really at all. Nice yeah. to mute your stuff there, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brett, why don't we <laughs> head to break, and when we come back, we'll, we'll get Sal on. We'll talk about a little baseball, a little basketball, everything else. Stick with us. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The AFATI clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined, to overcome your obstacles, and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with AFATI on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports with the biggest names on and off the field. It's The Heart of Sports, each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN. With former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville, Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's The Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We will talk a little baseball in a few minutes with Director of International Scouting, Sal Agostinelli, until we get him to join us, Jeff. uh, The NBA continued to go crazy this week. Uh, uh, Your thoughts on all of the moves everywhere. We got off the air on Friday. Yeah. Yeah and it was Kawhi needs to make a decision or it's going to screw up all these other trades out there. Kawhi made a decision. And Kawhi makes a decision. And now and he screwed up teams we weren't expecting him to screw and up, right? he and Paul George are now By the together way, with the Clippers.
1: All right, so let's let's start with that, okay? Last year, I remember a party that was uh, that was televised because Chris Paul was able to get Paul George to commit long-term to Oklahoma City. How much of a snake is he? That the you next mean Russell Westbrook, not Chris Paul. I'm sorry, Russell Westbrook. Chris Russell. Paul's there now because yeah, right, yeah, of the next right, trade. Yeah, yeah, well, I was thinking of the sympathy for him. So how, how bad is that that Paul George then, a year after that, insists on getting out of there to go to the team that he originally – remember, he, last time it was, is he going to the Clippers? Now all of a sudden he demands a trade to go to the Clippers. So is your spa- sports fandom offended by that? No, I don't care about the Oklahoma City Thunder, but um my I, I, my thought is if 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 I'm a if I'm an Oklahoma City owner, now's the perfect time to move the team back to Seattle and if I'm an Oklahoma City fan, I'm going to go cuz well, cuz uh, what are we going to do? Just watch the draft every year for the next so 7 after, years so after
2: Paul George goes yeah. and then Russell Westbrook goes. He's now in Houston for right. Chris Paul and More draft picks. So over the next 6 years, the Oklahoma City Thunder have 15 1st first-round draft picks and four pick swaps, and they'll probably get Woo-hoo. more when they trade more people. Yeah, but uh, if you're a fan, can I you mean, even draft that many people? in We the next just six we years just went sign?
1: through the the process era. We didn't and, have and we we only had picks. a couple first-round picks. Who wants to sit there and go,
2: "Woo, look at all the picks we have"? How do you feel if you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan that you had a combination of Paul George? Uh, I don't even Westbrook, count Paul George in that. Th- the, George, th- no, Westbrook, three. Durant, yeah. and Harden. Right. And after eight years, basically, of your fandom going through that, all you have to show for it is 15 for well, round Well, Paul efforts.
1: George was only here for literally a cup of coffee, or there for a cup of coffee. But there was a time that you had Durant, Durant Westbrook, and Harden all on the same team. And, that, and from what everybody talks about, the reason that Durant left was because... Westbrook was a ball hog, and then <laughs> the, re- the reason Harden left is because Westbrook was a ball hog. now all of a sudden Westbrook's going to play with Har- with Harden aren't those the two biggest ball hawks in the in the NBA they do both require the ball a lot it are they going to change the, is Adam Silver going to change the rules so that each one of them gets to k- dribble I, a ball up
2: I, I don't know okay I, so I don't have a good answer for you but how, I mean, how does this if you're a Rockets fan how does this help you well, it sounded like Chris Paul had to get out of there at this point. Uh, Understood. So, and, but that I don't know. was it the seemed best more, move you could make? It seemed more like a lateral move to me, only giving up the, all those first-rounders didn't make sense to me. With, I mean, I guess their thought is they're going for it now. And Who? Houston, Houston? Yeah. Golden State isn't going to be what they were last year. Other teams got stronger in the West. Golden State, in my mind, is still
1: better with the players that they have than Houston is by making this move. You want to
2: talk about overall movement in this league, though. Yeah. In the 2017 All-Star game that was just two years ago, 17 of the players that played in it have already switched teams. The only players that are still on their teams from that game are Giannis, John Wall, Kyle Lowry, Kevin Love, Steph, Harden, Clay, and Draymond. That's half it. Of, half of the players you just mentioned are from Golden State. That's it. I know. So yeah. if you take Golden State out...
1: Uh-huh everybody's moved. Right. The 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 constant is Golden State. How impressive if are you as the general manager if you were able to keep this team together as long as they did.
2: Do you like all of the movement in the NBA? Are you're a you're I a root really for the care. jersey. You're a root for the jersey on the front guy as opposed to the name on the back. You like to follow players. Right. But you root for I'm a team the guy. Team. Yeah. Are we going so far to the individual that it it no, you back as I a actually
1: like this because I was concerned about the creation of these super teams. And it seems like
2: this now it's NBA jam. Everybody's got two stars. That's right.
1: So you now have parity. You now have excitement in the NBA, except for the Knicks, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but everybody else in the league can compete. So poor, poor Knicks. Yeah. Yeah. Not Wo- really. What was them Crying here. Yeah. Poor Dolan.
2: Ah, are you watching the summer league at all?
1: Well, now we're in the we're we're about to get our participation trophy, right? Our participation trophy. They're playing in a consolation game today, and then they're done. You don't, the don't Sixers. A, you don't approve. Why, why is there a consolation game in the summer league? Are you watching those games at all? By the way, did the Knicks have a chance to win? Because remember, we talked about the Knicks were the, the favorite. they played
2: well. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to win, but they I mean, played Bruce well. Brzdicas
1: has played well. Yeah. Yeah, second round pick in the fourth. R.J. Barrett played well yeah. out there for them
2: uh zion williamson didn't play after five minutes because he tweaked his knee it looks like bentias uh t-bolt went out there with the goal to show that he could shoot a couple three-pointers no i think the goal was to show that a sixer could make it through the summer league they're (laughs) not done yet Uh, today in camden there is a press conference to welcome the new and re-signed sixers very exciting press uh tobias harris says that Ben, ben Simmons is now a marksman who drained two three-pointers in his face that he had to go out and guard him. Your reaction to said comment, Jeff Cohen? Yay that Ben shot a couple threes, but Tobias, you might want to play a little bit better defense. <laughs> so you blame <laughs> Tobias? You give Ben no credit for working on his game. No, you go uh, right uh, after the guy. I'm who just wondering the game. if Tobias had his hands up for those. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hilarious how you managed to make that happen. Um, anything else in the NBA catch your attention this past week?
1: Well, this, the, the, are the Sixers done, or do you? I still think about they need more. a shorter, a shooter. I think still you think you need they a get, shorter. Yeah, story <laughs> of my life. Everybody shorter. Do you need, do you need uh, Kyle Korver?
2: I still think they need a shooter. And look, they are. Do you you want Kyle Korver? I want somebody who can shoot the ball. Do you want Kyle Korver? Yes, I'd be fine with that. I wanted Avery Johnson, but he's not going to be there. He's going to the Lakers. But you you want Kyle Korver and his creaky bones at this point. Look at this point somebody has to knock down the ball. Everybody else is going to play Bi- defense. Isn't that Tobias's role? I don't know Apparently that, defense isn't going to be a strong suit. I don't <laughs> get guard ben. I don't know that that's going to be the role that he plays and I have concerns about Why not? This, because I have concerns about the spacing on this court that nobody's an actual shooter. Everybody T- Tobias shoot. is an actual shooter. He's how real- can you say how is Richardson not an actual shooter? okay, I I don't believe that they are threats like J.J. Redick was to take somebody out from under the basket when you have Ben Simmons that, at this point doesn't have that game where people are going to pack it in. So I think your spacing down there is an issue, and I have concerns that you don't have that consistent person that you can kick it out to that can knock down the shot. So you can tell me that they can shoot, but I don't think that they're shooters like J.J. Redick was. None of them are defensive liabilities like he
1: was. Nobody's a shooter like J.J. Redick
2: Kyle Korver knocks down three-pointers.
1: J.J. Redick was a special Uh, generational
2: type shooter. Who comes
1: close to that on this roster right now? I, I don't think they need that. It, they need that if you want to score the same number of points. The the focus on this team, it it's going to be less sexy to watch a Sixers game. But I, I understand. Because I defense, they, defense is going to be the strength of this team. They have a lot of lockdowns. So
2: centers. you're okay with Ben Simmons running the point and the people that they have there. Well, no, I want them you, at the four. You but think they have enough shooters now? Yeah, I do. I don't. We're going to agree to disagree on that one because right. I don't. Um, I'm not agreeing to disagree. No, I'm, I'm no. just not going to fight with you I'll about disagree it. to a did disagree. You, did you watch the All-Star game in the Home Run Derby this week? Yes. You did? Uh-huh. Okay, uh, ratings were down. The All-Star game for Major League Baseball doesn't do well. Uh, did you enjoy them talking to players while they were on the field?
1: Absolutely. And I thought I would. You would have thought. that I, I thought you would have hated.
2: hated it. I
1: know. And I and I have you're to so say you're so stodgy. How did you like that? Here, here. This is. I loved it. You know how like you know you have guilty pleasures of things that you shouldn't like that you do. I found this to be so, such a likable moment that Freddie Freeman, who I've spent. You know, all these years hating because of the unit, the jersey he wears, not because of who he is. I found him incredibly likable. Now, at first, when they went to the outfielders with Yelich and um, who was it? Was it Jock Peterson or was it Bellinger? I don't remember. Bellinger, which one. I
2: think, was out there at that. Um,
1: point. They were kind of dull until they were talking to both of them at the same time. And And the ball was hit out. That's right. I'm convinced (laughs) that there was at one point that the announcer actually screwed up his defense (laughs) because you kind of heard like, oops, you know. But there was another point at which point the announcer was talking to them and said, hey, by the way, I'll let you know whether the ball's foul. And Yelich was like, thanks, it'll save me from running. (laughs) So I actually found, because I don't consider it a competitive game anyway. I don't find it offensive that they're talking to them, and I think that baseball has done a poor job over the years of focusing on the player, unlike the NBA does, and this was a chance for Major League Baseball to let us see their personalities, and I really mean it. As far as I knew, Freddie Freeman had no personality, and I think from now on, we should mic up all first basemen because don't you wonder what the, they're always talking? I
2: asked Austin Listy about that on the High Hope show that we yeah. did yesterday about what he talks to people I mean, about, and he wouldn't tell us. No, it's he like, was like it's a it was trade some secret. secret that yeah. he didn't want to talk to you about. But
1: I find it interesting the first baseman just love to talk, and it's like it's part of the job—is sitting there talking. Like, what are you talking to these guys about? Did you watch Home Run Derby the night before? I watched it for a little bit, but that doesn't really—I mean, it was insane. But Vlad, it, Vlad Guerrero can hit a
2: baseball. Yeah. So can Jock Peterson? Uh-huh. What was it, forty to thirty nine? Especially a round? juiced baseball. I well, Verlander believes that it is a juiced baseball. Baseball says that Verlander is crazy. Now you and I both know that you talk to players. Triple A is using the major league ball now, right? And the guys going from double to triple A talk about a market difference in the ball. Well, JD Hammer was talking about because he skipped triple A, mm-hmm. going from Reading all of a sudden to the big leagues and using this different baseball, basically.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is, when you say, when we talk about juiced, it's, it's just that the ball is altered. And from what we're hearing from pitchers is that the seams are not as high. If the seams are not as high, one, you're not getting the grip, and two, the ball doesn't have as much
2: movement, because the movement is created by the seams as well as the arm angle. Well, let's, uh, let's talk to somebody who knows more about it than we do, Jeff. Uh, Sal Agostinelli, you on the line joining us?
3: Absolutely. How are we doing, guys?
2: Uh, we're doing great. Uh, we're wondering where you're traveling to now. International man of mystery, always around finding <laughs> players someplace.
3: Well, well no, I down, was down in San Diego. Um, went over to Mexico over the border here. Uh, got a, signed a left-handed pitcher yesterday, so it was a pretty good day. Heading home now, going to the airport.
1: All right. So tell so tell us about this left-handed pitcher.
3: Yeah, he's um, he's about six three. He was a converted guy. He was an outfielder and. Uh, I, we had him up to 93 yesterday, and uh, showed a sign of a good changeup and a good breaking ball. So, pretty interesting kid.
2: So, for, our, for for our people who listen that aren't familiar, what's the process now? You sign somebody, so you go down to Florida. They they look at him, and then they assign him someplace. What's the process that he'll follow now into the system? Well,
3: well, first obviously we're going to give him a physical and bring him in, and we, you know, we'll probably send him over to Dominican Republic to uh, once his contract. The contract usually takes a couple of weeks to clear. So we'll get him, you know, going down there, and then we'll probably bring him to the structural league and uh, and see what we got, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, for first the physical part, and then obviously, you know, uh, we'll, we'll put him on a team probably. Like I said, we have two teams in the Dominican. One of the two teams once his contract clears.
1: All right. Well, Sal, before we get to this year's signings, uh, we've had the chance to talk to some of your previous signings, including Kyle Glagoski. Uh, right. And... To this day, we sit there and go. Great guy. He he's clearly flourishing. He's made quickly made his way through Lakewood, and now he's doing well at Clearwater. How do you find a guy from New Zealand?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, listen. I want to give you know Howie uh, Howard North is our scout in um, in uh, in Australia. Um, you know, and uh, he does a good job. I've known Howie a long time. He was with Minnesota for many years. When he came available. Um, I went to our people, and uh, a couple of guys, uh, Terry Ryan worked with him in Minnesota, and we got him over here. And, uh, you know, in January, we do the uh, under-18 tournament down in Australia. We go there every year early January, and uh, Howie kind of pointed him out last year and wanted to sign him. So we went went ahead and signed him. So uh, I got to give credit to Howie because without Howie, I wouldn't have known about him.
2: Anybody who we should pay attention from the signings this year? You got a bunch of guys from the Dominican, some guys from Venezuela. It seems like they'll start in the Dominican at the start. Anybody that we should look out for as they start to come into the system?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, we got a couple of, you know, the Vasquez kid, he's he's a good-looking shortstop. You know, um, we're going to probably sign a couple more guys anyway, you know, besides, you know, uh, the guys that we have now. So just it's not done, but, but anyway... Uh, you know, we got the basket We got a couple of pitchers that we really, really like. I mean, uh, um, you know, you know, you know, I like to talk about some of the guys that we had. You know, because they, these guys' contracts haven't cleared yet, so you know, oh, what I mean? gotcha. once clear again, you know, what I mean, so, yeah, we don't want not... to get you in
2: trouble. Don't worry.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, we have a bunch of guys. The kid, kids from last year. A kid named Soriano is pitching very well in the Dominican summer league. He's a guy that we we had last year. He, he's fantastic. He's up to ninety three with a good slider. Um, Obviously, you know, we got, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the kid Lopez, Rafael Lopez, who's got a good arm, has a good breaking ball. Um, he's up to 92. Um, he's young. He's only 17 years old. We got a big lefty, six foot four. His name is Angulo, Jobert Angulo. Bunch of guys. And I could talk about all the players. We got a million good arms and uh, a couple of really good position players, too, that I really like. We got a kid in the Gulf Coast League that's playing down there right now. His name is Rojas. Who I really like was hitting about three twenty-five. Was doing a good job, so I'm hoping. I'm open and praying they all wind up in, you know, wind up moving up the ladder like some of the guys that we've had.
1: So, how long do you when you when you have somebody in the Gulf Coast League? What what is the anticipated time before they start going to places like Williamsport and Lakewood? Is there a well, timetable?
3: You know, yeah, well, you know that's a great question because you know, you know, at seventeen, a lot of these kids come in and they do real well. Um, you know, as I've evident with Luis Garcia last year, and now he goes to a college. You know, we, we, we move him up to that league at 18 years old in, in the South Atlantic League. Um, we have a big decision. Like, when they do real well, we want to move him to the South Atlantic League. But it's a big move for an 18-year-old kid. So, it's you know, that's why I'm saying it's a great question because of the fact that, you know, it's it's such a big jump for an 18-year-old kid to go into a league where there's all college kids that have come out from some of the best programs in the country. You know what I mean? So... It's 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 normally if a guy does just okay, we like to hold him back one year and then send him to Williamsport, kind of, and then the following year maybe send him to Lakewood. But those jumps between, you know, the the uh, Gulf Coast League where most of the kids are 17, 18, you know, 19-year-old kids. Then you go on and you have to go to Williamsport where that's the main college league and the, uh, the uh, South Atlantic League. Then we try to be a little careful because we don't want to, you know, hurt their, you know, you know. Hurt, you know. They have them go there and come back and be like, "Oh my God, this is really a tough level." Because you know, we kind of got to kind of just move them in there gradually. You follow me? It's yeah. A, that type of process. It's a really tedious process, you know. And and so so,
1: and so, so, fan, so for fans fans as you know can be impatient. Yeah. So they they sit there and they Never. go, "Yeah, yeah." So so you have guys like we we went down to Lakewood and, and you have guys like Luis Garcia and and Raphael Marchand. And, and people get impatient with these guys and don't realize they're some of the youngest guys in the league so that's, that's true. so so that's ha- true, you know. so so what do you say what do you say to fans that sit there and get impatient other than don't get impatient <laughs>
3: well you know I, I'll tell you this you know I remember when Franco was was there and and, and he struggled that first half and then he came on and Domingo Santana was there, and he struggled, and he's in the big. These guys are all going to play. These guys are going to play in the big leagues. Luis Garcia is going to play in the big leagues. It's just an adjustment. When they're 18 years old and they're playing against 23-year-old, 23-year-old players who are pitching them backwards, they're used to seeing fastballs in 3-1 counts. But you get a guy from UCLA who's 22 or 23 years old, he's smarter than that. He's not just going to throw him a fastball, and that's what those kids are used to. So they have the ability. It's just a matter of them learning the process, and it's part of the process of them going through it. You know, you get guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who just flew through the system, and and he kind of got it quickly. And there's a lot of guys that just don't. It just takes them longer. So, but these kids, like even Jalen Ortiz, you got a perfect example. He's a 20 year old kid. I was just about league to league ask you about him. Yeah, I mean, the kid's got 50. He's hitting 215 or 220. He's got 50. he's second in the league in home runs. He's second in the league in RBIs. He's got you know fifth that that, that league's a big league, but he's showing you the power. He's only going to get better because of the, just simply from the fact that the more pitching he sees, the better chance you know he's seeing a lot of three one curveballs, a lot of you know you know they've really really pitched him you know tediously because they know that if you, they make a mistake, he's going to take him deep. So you know I'm I, I you know I know the process. Our guys do a great job. Our minor league people. I just hope everybody will be patient because these guys will come up and be productive players at the big league level. But you know they're like I said, they're 20 years old, and there's only so many. Of twenty-year-old guys playing in the big leagues, you know it takes some time. You know,
1: well, so, well, Sal, I, I know, I know you got to run. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you back soon to talk about those the, the new signings and uh, keep those free, keep those frequent flyer
2: miles going. Keep finding some good players. Yeah, I'm
3: sorry, I'm sorry. As soon as I get a chance, I'll get we'll get together. We'll talk about
2: those guys. Okay? All right, Take you, Sal. It. You have a great Thanks one, so Sal. Thank you. He's always going someplace to find something good there. It,
1: it's an, it, A talent evaluation is, is such a hard thing to do when you're dealing with kids. I mean, they really are. You're, you're talking about 16, uh, I 17. I have a hard time when I'm with adults evaluating talent <laughs> <Yeah>. sometimes. So. <laughs> I, I can assure you, you can look at me, I have no <laughs> talent. <laughs> you have no talent. Right, yeah. yeah. But, but to think about what they do when traveling all over the world and trying to figure out. I remember the last time we had him on talking about projecting body types by looking at their parents. It, it, it really is, it, it's such a hard thing to do, and people sit there and criticize these guys. Keep in mind, they are traveling all around the world. They're away from their families. They're doing a pretty darn good job, and as we always preach, patience does matter. So when you have, I mean, we talked to Jalen Ortiz last year. He, he is a man, a man in a kid's body. He's a big guy, and he's in a pitcher's league right now which is the is Clearwater's league, and the guy has 15 home runs. In the last month or so, he is just powering the ball out. I, I Hopefully only... the average comes. But, again, we've gotten to see Luis Garcia and Rafael Marchand down at, at Lakewood. They're just babies in that league. They're, they are The Phillies are doing what people complained that they didn't do a decade ago is they're challenging these guys, but if you challenge them by putting them in a more advanced league, they're doing it because they think they can handle it emotionally, mentally, uh, but physically they have to catch up. And I will tell you, even though he's not an international signee, that's what they did with Mickey Moniak, and they challenged him this year. He's growing into his body, and the patience is paying off.
2: I only hope that nobody judges my kid's body off of me. (laughs) <laughs> that's my only hope let's do a little baseball before we move on uh, a couple minutes left in the show jeff you're going down to the ballpark tonight start a series against the nationals the see all-star Strasburg. break is over see steven strasberg pitch uh-huh. against uh the phil's bats tough one to come off of jt real muto on the paternity list after the birth what of his he's child. not playing tonight congratulations uh-huh. to him rob brantley will be the backup from triple a kapler said he'll rejoin the team tomorrow most likely yeah um, your thoughts to make m- room for him. They put Pat Neshek on the 60-day injured list. He sounds not. like he may not be coming he, back even, this year. He, we're
1: talking about September at the earliest, so you should not make any assumptions. He's, so he's going to be
2: any critical part of the team. I was frustrated by something I heard Gabe Kapler say this week. We saw that Jake I, Arrieta I, has I struggled. I know exactly what you're going to say. And he has bone chips, and whether or not he has surgery, we'll see. But Gabe Kapler said that 85% of Jake Arietta is yeah. better than any arm that they have to use. Okay. One, could there be any more indictment of your system than to call it out like that? Mm-hmm.
1: Two. And how would you like to be a... Well, you know, the question is, is that a motivational tool for somebody like Cole Irvin? Or Ramon Roso, or somebody well, else. Well, if they in don't the screw system, up
2: bringing him in, I mean, Cole well, Irvin's a starter. You don't bring him in I, in the second or third yeah, inning. I mean,
1: look, Gabe, Gabe said something like that. And my first thought was if maybe if you didn't mismanage Cole Irvin, you might have somebody who's better. And more importantly, a pitcher who cannot extend his arm isn't going to get Jake Arietta's velocity is significantly down from his Cy Young year anyway. It has has not been great, and his command has not been great since he got here. If it's because he has bone spurs, don't tell me that throwing him out there at 85% serves a purpose because if your ball doesn't move,
2: it does. Well, they said the bone spurs have impacted his off-speed pitches in the curveball.
1: Right. So how can you you say 85% of a pit? Look, if you want to say to me 85% of Noah Noah Syndergaard's
2: 100-mile-per-hour fastball, That's not even good enough for me. I'm going to ask you the question I asked off the air the other day. Are the Phillies going to be buyers, sellers, or stand pat? Because my opinion is that we're not one player away. Mm -hmm. And if you're not acquiring somebody for the long term, I don't want a short term rental to fill one hole when you've got five other holes. That's just my opinion. Well, right now so of where I'm, I'm going to
1: phrase it differently as, as the, the guy who's always the half full, glass half full. All guy. right, uh, sunshine, yeah, come on, let's go. Right, yeah, um, and I say that with complete sarcasm. I don't think we're one player away, but I think we're one year away. So, and I think that's different. So, I think that what you do at the trade deadline is, as you said, you do not sell the farm, but you. If you can find pieces that can get you into the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen when you get in the playoffs.
2: See, I take a different approach yeah. since you're a year away. Uh-huh. I sell Cesar. I sell Bruce. I give my young guys a chance to play where they're supposed to play. Uh-huh. And I give them experience so that next year you know what you need to add. You sell Bruce? I do. As a guy from New Jersey, can you sell anybody he named is Bruce? The only one. You has, can't get rid of anybody named Bruce. The only one that has the value on this team right now. And the way Nick no, Williams, no, actually, I has, think I think you're wrong because I do think Cesar has, has that's fine. Value. Those two have value. The uh-huh. way that Nick Williams has been playing in AAA, you either need to give him a shot with the big team, or you need to decide he's not a part of your future and send him off for something else. But the yo-yo game of he's going to go down to AAA, dude hasn't not hit since he went down there. So yeah, he now has the longest hitting streak in the history of Triple-A so, uh, in the history of the Iron Pigs passing you know, if Kingery. If you're not going to make a run this year, mm-hmm. what are you holding on to a player like Jay Bruce for? What are you holding on to a player like Cesar for? Put Kingery at second. Figure out if Quinn or Hazley can play in I center. I understand
1: what you're saying. I don't think the Phillies will get rid of Bruce. And it's not because And it's not that I the want Jersey them Bruce to are. do this. But I, I hear I from think people that, that he's
2: a clubhouse guy. I hear from people um, they need to make moves. Mm-hmm. They what? What move is going to fix this bullpen right now? What move is going to get you 3 to 4 starting pitchers?
1: Well, and so that that but see that's why I say I think Damon Jones is in this rotation next year. He's a he's a big guy. Good pitcher. I think that you I think Jojo's starting to come around. I know people are going to tell me I'm crazy. We're talking about next year though. I know. Well so. well that's so that's why I am I'm telling you that that I'm being your crystal ball and saying, this is what I see for next year. I think Alec Boehm is the real deal. And I think that he is going to have a chance
2: to win the job next So am I crazy to want to sell Mikel Franco if there's any value so that that spot is clear for him? Like To me, you're holding on to players because you thought you were going to be something that you're not going to be this year. The but best, there's but the, there's still the a, there's still a
1: potential playoff team. For a so, wild
2: card and if you sell it all for a wild card and lose one game, mm-hmm. is that worth it? What if you win the one game? Okay. again, is it worth it? I don't think that this I get you make the playoffs. As as
1: somebody who loves going to playoff games, it is worth every minute of because you don't
2: know when you're going to be back. I don't think that they are beating the Dodgers or the Braves this year in the playoffs. Not as this team is currently constituted. So I'll go down and cheer. But if it means that next year and the year after the players that people have been waiting for are now gone because we tried to get something that we couldn't compete. I'm not really in for that. So your big moves are getting rid of Caesar, Franco, and Bruce. If the decision is made, yeah, that you're not going. to well, Oh no, I just made you make make ge- You're the, you're now the general yes, manager. That's I would get more value for it because you need to keep strengthening and Nick Williams. the system. So uh, so would you get? No, I yeah. would probably move Nick Williams up and play him in left field instead of Jay Bruce because he's gone. So are you I'd convinced have, Nick Williams is the real deal? No, I'm not, but I need to find out. I need to he's know. He's been up here before. But he hasn't really gotten a chance. He's come up. He's come uh, down. He's been a bench player. He doesn't start regularly. When he plays every day. When when that happens, do you. You don't think that. You know,
1: people used to say this about Charlie Manuel, too, when he would platoon people. It turned out that there were people that would get exposed if they were playing every day. I'd like to know that. Well, maybe if they already not, know that.
2: If we're not going to. Well, then they need to trade him well, and that, know so that, that he's not the player. That's,
1: but that's my move. If, if, if
2: I were general manager. I would trade high on Nick Williams right now. So you would He's, trade Williams and keep Bruce out there, because to me, Bruce it, has value for a, a team that's going down both. the stretch that needs a bat off the well, bench if, or a DH. I because I, I think I can get more for
1: Nick Williams, and it'll serve if I could get a starting a young starting pitcher. Which so I have we feel turned that we? The problem is starting pitching. I did not think that the, that the starting pitching was going to be as bad as it has been. Nola obviously has turned it around. I mean, you and I talked. I guess it was a month ago or so and when you I said felt good about wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, but you also thought <laughs> nah, Nola. Nola was on his way that he there was something wrong with him. Yeah, and he's turned it around, and so and look, I hope I'm he's wrong. The, he's the a- only reliable pitcher they have right now. P- they're putting Pavetta out tonight, and I'm hoping that if I get there by opening pitch, that he hasn't given up a home run before I go to get a Six oh five start, you may right.
2: Uh, you may have some difficulties getting there. Yeah,
1: but that's that. my big concern is that they're going to be down 2 nothing before the Phillies get the bat because that's that's the Pavetta-Vince
2: Vince way. So do you think that there's a chance for them to turn it around? It's going to be your last thought for the week before we sign off. we got less than a minute.
1: I do. I think that there's a chance to make the playoffs, and I don't think that you sell when you have a chance to make the playoffs. Am I just overtly negative today?
2: Yeah, you are. Is that just... Are it's you okay. used to that? Next next week. Is it cuz I'm getting next older? Next week. Well, oh, no, it's because like the
1: studio's cold and you're wearing your sweater and you know, you're you're, Not playing, a sweater, it's a you're playing you're playing the old man what, am I part Mr. Rogers the, over you, here? You are.
2: No, I don't have that on. Uh-huh. Any final thoughts before we sign off for no, the week, Jeff? That was it. Thank you everybody for joining this week on The Hardest Sports. Make sure to join us this next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.